This is Space Time Series 26, Episode 110, for broadcast on the 13th of September 2023. Coming up on Space Time, it's all systems go for the re-entry of OSIRIS-REx, discovery of some of the longest long-period exoplanets ever seen, and China releases details of its planned man-moon missions. All that and more coming up on Space Time. Welcome to Space Time with Stuart Gary. NASA has completed its final test run in preparation for this month's return to Earth of the OSIRIS-REx sample return capsule, which will re-enter the atmosphere and parachute down into the skies above the Utah desert on September the 24th. On board, in a specially sealed contamination-proof chamber, are samples from the half-kilometre-wide potentially hazardous asteroid Bennu. The test run used a mock-up of the entry capsule, which was dropped by an aircraft above the U.S. Department of Defense's West Desert Utah Test and Training Range just outside Salt Lake City. The drop test followed a series of earlier rehearsals, capsule recovery, spacecraft engineering operations, and sample curation procedures, which had been conducted over the past six months. It was the final stage in preparing everyone for the arrival of the real thing. Nicola Fox, the Associate Administrator of NASA's Science Mission Directorate in Washington, says scientists are now just a few weeks away from receiving a piece of the solar system's history on Earth, and the successful drop test ensures they're ready. She says the pristine material from the asteroid Bennu will help shed light on the formation of the solar system 4.6 billion years ago, and perhaps even on how life on Earth began. The 2,110-kilogram Origin Spectral Interpretation Resources Identification Security Regolith Explorer, or OSIRIS-REx for short, was launched aboard an Atlas V rocket from the Cape Canaveral Space Force Station in Florida back on September the 8th, 2016, on a 2-billion-kilometre seven-year sample return mission. The spacecraft arrived at Bennu two years later in October 2018. The OSIRIS-REx mission marked many firsts in space exploration. It was the first American mission to carry samples from an asteroid back to Earth and the largest sample returned from space since the Apollo era. It was also the first probe to study a primitive B-type asteroid, which is an asteroid rich in the carbon and organic molecules that make up life on Earth. It was also the first mission to study a potentially hazardous asteroid, and to try and determine the sorts of factors which can alter an asteroid's course, bringing it on a collision course with the Earth. OSIRIS-REx's scientific payload included a thermal spectrometer, a visible and infrared spectrometer, a laser altimeter, an X-ray spectrometer, and a suite of cameras. The spacecraft spent three years orbiting the asteroid Bennu at various altitudes, often getting down to just five kilometers above the surface. It studied Bennu's surface and geology, its evolution, composition, chemistry and mineralogy. The data collected by OSIRIS-REx helped develop detailed survey maps of the ancient craggy boulder-strewn asteroid, which allowed scientists to eventually select a site for touchdown and sample return. The probe ultimately collected some 60 grams of regolith dust, dirt and rocks. OSIRIS-REx finally left Bennu orbit in March 2021, bound for Earth. Bennu is the name of a mythological Egyptian bird. 
the asteroid is listed as a potentially hazardous object. It has a 1 in 2700 chance of hitting the Earth sometime between 2175 and 2199. But to get an accurate assessment of Bennu's probability of Earth impact will require a detailed understanding of the asteroid's shape and composition. That'll determine the magnitude and direction of the Yakovsky effect. The Yakovsky effect is caused by sunlight warming the day-side surface of a rotating body such as an asteroid. As the asteroid turns, the night side of it cools and releases this heat, which acts as a small amount of thrust and therefore exerts a force which can, over a period of time, affect an asteroid's direction. Now, if this half-kilometre-wide asteroid were to collide with the Earth, scientists estimate the amount of kinetic energy released would be equivalent to 1,200 megatons of TNT. What we know for certain is that Bennu will pass 750,000 kilometres above the Earth's surface on September 23, 2060. Now, this close approach will cause a divergence in the next close approach that Bennu takes on September 25, 2135. That'll be somewhere between 100,000 and 300,000 kilometres. Now, there's no chance of a collision with Earth during the 2135 event, but it will be cutting it close. And this is where it gets really important. That 2135 close approach could position Bennu to pass through a 55-kilometre-wide gravitational keyhole, and that is what could create an impact scenario at a future encounter. This report from NASA TV. OSIRIS-REx is NASA's first asteroid sample return mission. It launched in September 2016 on a journey to explore a near-Earth asteroid called Bennu. After arriving in 2018, OSIRIS-REx spent nearly two years orbiting Bennu, mapping and studying its rugged terrain before carrying out its primary science objective. On October 20, 2020, the spacecraft ventured to a small crater in the asteroid's northern hemisphere. It dodged jagged rocks and towering boulders and plunged its arm into the loose surface, excavating six tons of debris while collecting about 250 grams of material. OSIRIS-REx stowed its bounty and closed its sample return capsule. It bid farewell to Bennu in May 2021, embarking on a 1.2 billion mile cruise back to Earth. Now, two years and four months after leaving Bennu, OSIRIS-REx is closing in on the place where its journey began. On September 24th, the spacecraft will approach to nearly 63,000 miles from Earth. It will power up and release its sample return capsule at 4.42 a.m. Mountain Time. The capsule must be jettisoned within a narrow time frame and at just the right angle to hit its target, an area of roughly 250 square miles in Utah's West Desert. Once the capsule is away, OSIRIS-REx will fire its thrusters to avoid colliding with Earth. At 8.42 a.m., the capsule will streak into the atmosphere at a blistering 27,000 miles per hour. It will race across the western U.S. and begin to glow with heat, allowing infrared trackers on the ground to chart its progress. As it pushes deeper into the atmosphere, the capsule will rapidly decelerate, subjecting the Bennu samples to a punishing 32 Gs. About two minutes after entry, it will slow to Mach 1.4 and deploy its drogue parachute, stabilizing its descent. The capsule will enter special-use airspace at 8.46 a.m., almost 10 miles above the Department of Defense Utah Test and Training Range. Radar stations will lock on and track it to within 30 feet of its landing site. 
At 8.50 a.m., the capsule will extract and deploy its main parachute one mile above the ground. It will make its final descent at a leisurely 11 miles per hour, like a marathon runner savoring a victory lap, before touching down in the desert soil at 8.55. After ground teams retrieve the capsule, the Bennu samples will be taken to NASA's Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas. The sample canister will be opened in the Astro Materials Acquisition and Curation Facility, and the samples will be curated, distributed, and studied for decades to come. Having delivered its cargo, the OSIRIS-REx spacecraft will depart Earth, but its journey will not quite be finished. In a daring encore, the renamed OSIRIS Apex will enter an elliptical orbit of the Sun, repeatedly passing within the orbit of Venus and pushing the limits of its thermal design. Beginning in 2029, it will chase down and investigate Apophis, a 1,200-foot stony asteroid destined to make an exceptionally close flyby of Earth. After 13 years in deep space, at the start of a new decade alone on a new world, the journey will continue. This is space time. Still to come, discovery of some of the longest long period exoplanets ever seen, and we look at China's Man Moon program. All that and more still to come on space time. Astronomers have discovered two of the longest period exoplanets ever found. The two planets are orbiting a spectral type K orange dwarf star. That's a star a little smaller and cooler than the Sun. It's been catalogued as TOI 4600 and it's located 815 light years away. Now, of these two planets orbiting the star, TOI 4600b takes 82.69 Earth days, that's nearly three months, to complete its orbit around its host star. While the other exoplanet, TOI 4600c, is much further out, with an orbital period of 482.82 Earth days, or some 16 months. Now, from what we can tell, the inner planet has around seven times Earth's radius and that places it somewhere in size between Neptune and Saturn. The other more distant sibling is about nine and a half times Earth's radius, meaning it's roughly the same size as Saturn. Astronomers think both these worlds are likely gas giants and have been classified as warm Jupiters. The findings, reported in the Astrophysical Journal Letters, suggest the more distant planet has a temperature of around 191 Kelvin, while the inner planet has a more temperate 347 Kelvin, that's 74 degrees Celsius. The distance between these two planets, which is about the same as the distance between Mercury and Mars, indicates that there could be other yet-to-be-discovered planets orbiting in this system. The two planets were discovered using NASA's Transiting Exoplanet Survey satellite TESS, and they were then followed up for confirmation using ground-based observatories. The study's lead author, Ishmael Morellas from the University of New Mexico, says the planets were initially detected using the transit method, in which light from the host star is dipped by a planet passing or transiting in front of the star as seen from Earth. The follow-up observations involved the good old wobble or rate of velocity measurement in which the planet's gravity causes a slight wobble in the host star as the planet circles it. 
The authors say the main thing now is to try and uncover more about these planets' formation, because based on what we know about exoplanets so far, nothing we've found really looks like anything we've seen in our own solar system. In fact, despite finding over 5,000 exoplanets so far, astronomers have found absolutely nothing that matches our solar system. And that is raising some really interesting questions. This is Space Time. Still to come, China are planning to send Taikonauts to the Moon. We'll look at the spacecraft they're developing for the mission. And later in the Science Report, a new study warns that hotter temperatures could lead to more heart attacks. All that and more still to come on Space Time. China has released preliminary details of their first manned lunar lander, which will send Taikonauts to the lunar surface by 2030. Beijing's design appears very similar to America's old 1960s Apollo lunar excursion module, the LEM. It has two parts, a landing stage to get down to the lunar surface, and which will then act as a launch pad for an ascent stage, which will accommodate the crew and be used to get back into lunar orbit. Like the LEM, the Chinese lander will accommodate a crew of two, and it will carry a lunar rover, which will be used to transport Taikonauts across the lunar surface. The rover will have a mass of about 200 kilograms and a range of about 10 kilometers. But unlike the Apollo program's single massive Saturn V rocket, which carried both the command and service module as well as the lunar excursion module all on the one vehicle to the moon, Beijing will use two separate three-stage Long March 10 rockets to get there. One will carry China's lunar module and the other a new 26-ton spacecraft, which will be capable of holding up to seven crew members, although only three will be used on lunar missions. The crew spacecraft will rendezvous and dock in lunar orbit with the lunar module ahead of a lunar landing attempt. Unlike China's existing Shenzhou manned spacecraft, which are based heavily on Russian Soyuz designs, the new spacecraft will again follow the American Apollo concept of using a single command module, which will act as a re-entry vehicle, and a service module, which will carry all the auxiliary equipment and be jettisoned prior to atmospheric re-entry. But where China differs from American practice is in the universality of the new spacecraft. America have decided they want separate manned spacecraft for different missions. Crew transfers to and from the International Space Station and low Earth orbit rely on SpaceX Dragon capsules. And once they get the thing going, they'll be joined by Boeing Starliner. On the other hand, deep space missions will be entrusted to the Lockheed Martin Orion capsule, which is of a completely different design. So far, China's carried out five robotic missions to the moon and deployed two lunar rovers. The most recent mission, Chang'e 5, was a sample return. The next mission, Chang'e 6, will be another sample return, this time landing on the lunar far side. In 2026, Chang'e 7 will focus on the lunar south pole, while Chang'e 8's mission, currently slated for around 2028, will be an in-situ resource utilisation and 3D printing technology mission, testing different methods to build a base on the moon using local materials. This is Space Time. (music) 
And time now to take another brief look at some of the other stories making news in science this week with the Science Report. Scientists are warning that hotter temperatures are leading to more heart attacks for patients on common heart medications. The findings reported in the journal Nature Cardiovascular Research are based on an analysis of data from almost 2,500 heart attack victims. The patient data was compared to their medication intake and daily weather information. Scientists found that the risk of non-fatal heat-related heart attacks may be increasing among patients using antiplatelet medication and beta blockers, especially for those between the ages of 25 and 59. The findings have a special significance as the planet continues to warm due to climate change. A new study has found that humans are using or trading roughly a third of all animals, and they pose a threat to some 39% of all species. The findings reported in the journal Communications Biology suggest that people's actions are hundreds of times more impactful than other non-human predators. Scientists analysed data on the use and trade of 47,664 animals and estimated the number of species whose use or trade by humans involved removal from wild populations, including for food, clothing, medicines or as pets. They then compared this to data on endangered species and also data on non-human predators and the food chain, finding human impact was up to 300 times greater than that for other predators. While not all human use is threatened to these animals, the authors say it's important to keep in mind that people's actions really do have far broader consequences on the functions of ecosystems. A bit of good news now, and a new study suggests that Earth's ozone layer is on track for recovery within about four decades. And researchers say the global phase-out of ozone-depleting chemicals is also helping to mitigate climate change. The findings were presented at the annual meeting of the American Meteorological Society in Denver, Colorado. It confirms the phase-out of nearly 99% of banned ozone-depleting substances, such as chlorofluorocarbons, has succeeded in safeguarding the ozone layer, with recovery expected around 2066 over the Antarctic and by 2045 over the Arctic, with the rest of the world considered safe by 2040. The reduction in hydrofluorocarbons is also estimated to avoid a 0.3 to 0.5 degrees Celsius warming of the planet by 2100. However, a report in the journal Nature warns that China remains the world's biggest producer of ozone-depleting chemicals, with massive production continuing of CFC-containing chemicals such as trichlorofluoromethane, which is being used for insulation. Google's about to launch its new Pixel 8 smartphones. With the details, we're joined by technology editor Alex Saharov-Royt from TechAdvice.life. October the 4th in the US, October the 5th in Australia. Google will have plenty of AI smarts to talk about. They'll have improved cameras, improved processors. And, of course, they will want to make their Pixel 8 and Pixel 8 Pro competitive with the iPhone 15 that's launching this week, which we'll have all the details on next week. But uh, it's smartphone launching season. It's technology launching season. In fact, later this month, we'll have Microsoft launching all their new Surface devices. So it's definitely everyone gearing up to have new tech ready for Christmas, ready for that Black Friday, Christmas, holiday shopping season. Google's also celebrating its 20, 25th birthday. Wow. Yeah, they launched on September the 4th, 1998. And, in fact, they had their first event How on September the 8th. That make me. <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah, we're all getting older, unfortunately. But uh, hopefully, technology, you know, AI and 
nanobots are going to come to help us live much longer lives. But uh, yeah, Google's 25th anniversary, I mean, they've been around for a long time. In the year 2000, they actually reached 1 billion pages. And in the year 2008, according to a Google blog post, they had over 1 trillion unique URLs. But as of earlier this year, they had trillions of pages online, but about 30 to 50 billion actual pages that they're putting into their index. Now, uh, although there's 7.33 billion smartphones worldwide estimated to be that many, and about half of those are Android users, many Google users actually obviously have more than one device. And so not all of those, that half of that 7.3 billion are actually Google accounts. So they've got 15 different products Google has that uh, have more than half a billion people and businesses as users and another six products that have more than 2 billion users each. And uh, of course, there's been a lot of uh, concern that Google is falling behind ChatGPT and Microsoft Bing AI in the AI race. But interestingly, Google still has more than 95% market share for its search engine. Bing has about 3%, Yahoo is about 1%, and the rest is the also-rans. And Google does talk about wanting to be very responsible with AI. So we just have to wait and see if they really do deliver upon that. Of course, now they have their own hardware, their Pixel 8 and 8 Pro series, which, uh, as we spoke about last week, are going to have five years of OS updates. So they're fighting as hard as they can against Samsung, Apple, and everybody else. What did we have before Google? I'm just trying to think. Well, just as we have, uh, you know, over 7,000... Ask Jeeves, I think, was there. Yeah, well, that was one of them. But just as we have over 7,000 AI services, in the days before Google, we had dozens of different search engines. We had LookSmart, Ask Jeeves, Dogpile, we had MSN Search, we had... Uh, Alta Vista, Alta Vista. Yahoo that was, was the original. The one I used to use, yeah, yeah. and Yahoo, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And so they otherwise were the big just, ones at the time. Otherwise, you just typed it straight into Netscape. <laughs> That's right. But also, we had Google. There was an opportunity for Yahoo to buy Google for something like a million dollars or something Oopsie. at the time, and they passed it up. They didn't. They didn't do it. Yeah. Uh, but of course, had Yahoo purchased Google, there's no guarantee that Google would have then become the huge search engine and the huge tech company that it is today. But uh, yeah, 25 years of Google, let's uh, hope that the next 25 years are going to be just as fruitful and beneficial to humanity. Microsoft set to remove WordPad from Windows. Look, the, the thing about WordPad is that it was a very simple program. It did RTF files, rich text format files, and it was a little bit better than Notepad, but most people just aren't using it. And it's another piece of software that they have to continually maintain to make sure there are no security vulnerabilities that someone can hack into and then break into your operating system. You've got free Google Docs, You've got free Office Online from Microsoft, even though they would like you to pay for Office 365. There's free alternatives out there, even LibreOffice, which is a fully Microsoft Office-compatible clone, and there are others besides. So look, it's, it's reducing the attack surface that hackers can use to break into your computer. And it's been around for 28 years. Most people don't use it these days. It's just sort of sitting there. So it's just one less piece of cruft that uh, Microsoft is not having to deal with, and they've decided after 28 years since Windows 95 in 1995 to remove it. And what else is on techadvice.life this week? Well, there's an article from CNET and another one from Yahoo that's explaining why you should blur your home on Google Maps and Apple Maps. There's Microsoft's special event on September the 21st in the US that we spoke about with all the new Surface tablets and laptops. Uh, China is unveiling a $41 billion fund to supercharge its domestic chip production after being banned by the US and Japan and Europe from being able to access the latest semiconductor tools and more. So check it all out at techadvice.life. That's Alex Sahara-Vroid from techadvice.life. That's the show for now. 
Spacetime is available every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday through Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcast, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Acast, Amazon Music, Bytes.com, SoundCloud, YouTube, your favorite podcast download provider, and from SpacetimeWithStuartGary.com. Spacetime's also broadcast through the National Science Foundation on Science Zone Radio and on both iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio. And you can help to support our show by visiting the Spacetime store for a range of promotional merchandising goodies. Or by becoming a Spacetime patron, which gives you access to triple episode commercial-free versions of the show, as well as lots of bonus audio content which doesn't go to air, access to our exclusive Facebook group and other rewards. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.com for full details. And if you want more space time, please check out our blog where you'll find all the stuff we couldn't fit in the show, as well as heaps of images, news stories, loads of videos, and things on the web I find interesting or amusing. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.tumblr.com. That's all one word, and that's Tumblr without the E. You can also follow us through at StuartGary on Twitter, at SpacetimewithStuartGary on Instagram, through our Spacetime YouTube channel. And on Facebook, just go to facebook.com forward slash Spacetime with Stuart Gary. And Spacetime is brought to you in collaboration with Australian Sky and Telescope magazine, your window on the universe. You've been listening to Spacetime with Stuart Gary. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. 